Hello and welcome everybody to this Clifford Chance podcast where experts from around the firm will discuss pressing issues and trends faced by our clients today. This is the fourth in our Clifford Chance on Credit podcast series where we look at topical issues and trends in the debt markets and in particular debt and credit investments by fund and asset managers. Now the focus of today's session is real estate credit. Uh, my name is Simon Crown, and we are joined by some experts on this topic, Alice Pay, Emma Matabalavu, and Barry O'Shea from Clifford Chance's London office, as well as uh, Alexandra Couturier from our real estate practice in Paris. Um, now, we're going to turn, first of all, obviously, to the main topic, which is uh, the impact of, uh, of, of COVID-19 on uh, real estate debt markets. So, First of all, um, to, uh, to you, Alex, is COVID-19 drying up uh, real estate debt markets? Hello. Um, we've, uh, we've seen some fears uh, that the, uh, the market would completely dry uh, in, in, on the continent and, and probably in, in, in the UK as well. Um, uh, um, whereas uh, there has been a bit of a credit crunch on certain asset classes. The truth is that the the market is continuing uh, to uh, to work and 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 uh, quite normally. Um, uh, what we have seen, however, is um, a range of uh, government intervention through um, state guaranteed loans in in many jurisdictions, if not all, um, uh, and also um, the traditional lenders being caught up. In um, uh, taking care of their of their clients' business, uh, basically managing broken covenants and and, and the like, uh, and and of course that has taken a lot of uh, a lot of the workforce out of producing uh, new new credits, um, and, and therefore one of the trends that we do see in France is uh, because traditional lenders are somewhat too busy, um, we see a flow of new lenders actually entering the market, uh, potentially on more interesting margin conditions. And, and this is how um, we see that the traditional banks uh, are, are not producing as much as they used to, and they're um, uh, somewhat replaced by debt funds or more exotic, i.e. American uh, or, or, uh, banks. Um, um, there is, as I said, there's a little bit of a credit crunch or scarcity on some compartments of the market, and that is basically any speculative uh, uh, real estate, i.e., you know, uh, not backed by immediate cash flows. Um, that that is actually uh, drying up a little bit. But again, um, uh, because uh, because the equity is there, uh, new lenders are are uh, are coming into the French market with interesting margins to finance that type of uh, development and speculative deals. Okay, uh, thanks, Alex. So, Barry, is, is is do you agree with that in respect of the the, the London market? Are we seeing new entrants? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, I, I wouldn't say that they're entirely new players, rather people that we knew already and uh, you actually wondered what, what, when are they actually going to get to do some business and then they start to get the opportunities now because um, I agree with Alex, it's not an all-out credit crunch, but there are a few players who are sitting a few months out while they see how their crisis develops. And so for those who don't have any problems with their book and have available capital and they see some good situations, then there's maybe a bit less competition. So 
um, both in London but also around Europe, we've seen uh, debt funds and non-bank lenders um, get some additional opportunities to get closer to deals and to get deals. And also those with a special situations, as they call them, mandate within their book, they've, they've had some opportunities to do some, some deals which are currently challenging, but, but in, in ordinary times would actually be very good deals, um, but they can step in where others are not, not willing to do so. Um, so it, it's probably just a little bit less competition, but still overall where there's a good deal um, and it's a, it's a winning real estate story, we're not seeing or hearing of our clients not being able to find a lender, that there always tends to be someone who's, who's willing to, to step up for the better deals. Okay, and, and Simon, uh, maybe if I can jump in, it's Emma. I think I echo everything that, that Barry and Alexandra have said, but I think the situation is evolving, as Barry said. That, that opportunity window that was there in early summer, I think, may be closing somewhat um, as more lenders come back into the market. So it seems that in the autumn, the, the competition has increased again for, for good opportunities. And we, we hear stories of, you know, many, many lenders looking at uh, positions and term sheets. So good news, I guess. OK, thanks for that, Emma. So so moving on to talk about uh, Potential restructuring uh, in the real estate market that we might expect to see at this at, at this point after uh, or during the crisis. Alice, did you did you have you got any comments on on restructuring at the moment? So I suppose one of the key things to be aware of, um, and those investors in the real estate market will be well aware of, the, of this, is that for, since March there's been a statutory moratorium on. Um, non-payment or forfeiture for non-payment of rent. And for those not familiar, forfeiture is essentially a termination right uh, for failing uh, or breaching leases. And that has been extended twice now and has most recently been extended until the end of the year. And so you have to ask the question, well, ultimately, that moratorium is going to have to come to an end. And so you wonder whether actually at that point we're going to see a big wave of uh, restructurings actually happening in the market. Okay. And, and where we are short of uh, a full restructuring, but where uh, the, the parties might still be looking at COVID waivers, is, is, there, a, is there a market approach, a market consensus yet as to, as to how to deal with this? You know, uh, Barry, do you have any views on that one? Yeah, I mean, people are dealing with those situations on a case-by-case basis. And um, aside from a few very discreet points, lenders are not willing to agree to a blanket waiver for any future lockdown or the results of a future outbreak. And this is on, I'm talking about new deals here. So we have seen borrowers in, in first drafts to ask for a waiver of any breach which results from COVID-19. And even go, the drafting even goes into future strains of COVID-19 and other potential pandemics, which is not something you've seen in a loan agreement before. Uh, so they want to go into all the consequences and to say that essentially there would be no default relating to any of that. But the grand majority, if not all lenders are saying they can't get their heads around that. They can imagine what's going on now and they, they can think about the government interventions that Alice has referred to and see how that, how that would, would play out in respect to their loan, but they can't get their heads around what might happen one year's hence when they just don't know what the world will be like then. So they say, the borrowers have to come back at the time if there is a, a future crisis. And, and, and most borrowers get that. 
so you can you can the market is is seeing some discrete carve outs you know to to agree that if a building contractor has to suspend work because they're obliged to do so by law that isn't an immediate event to fall on the basis of an abandonment of construction EOD which you see in construction finance and most lenders agree that that makes sense but a sort of wide ranging waiver uh, for for circumstances unknown, lenders are just not willing to go there, and 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 the market has kind of generally reached consensus on that. Okay, great. And and in respect of new transactions, um, are we seeing lenders tightening their terms at all, Barry? Yeah, I think I think a little bit because um, obviously this has been a very difficult situation, which tests some of the assumptions that people have had around deals. Um, and, you know, you, you forget that, of course, many people uh, in the market weren't around at the time of the, the, the global financial crisis. And so cataclysmic events seem um, surprising to them, um, but they, they surprise everyone. And But there are certain things that one negotiates in a document that you think, well, that will never happen. And, and well, now you know that sometimes they do. Um, and so I think it, it gives a little bit more hesitation around some provisions and just rethinking whether or not you might you might need them. We have seen um, things like sponsor recourse guarantees coming from the sponsors to be required in situations where uh, previously they wouldn't be sourced. And that's a big change from the European market because you, in the European market, real estate lending is generally on a non-recourse basis, save for certain construction risks on construction deals. And, uh, you know, kiting and a few other provisions, but, you know, it's just a little bit of looking at things a bit more closely. I haven't heard as yet that the deals that have gone in the kind of leveraged finance direction towards covenant life have kind of turned back towards having financial covenants. I haven't heard about that as yet, but, uh, you know, that may come. Great. Okay. Thank you, uh, Barry. So, crystal ball time, looking ahead at uh, the real estate market in the predictable future if there is such a thing at the moment. Let's talk about winners um, and losers in, in terms of real estate asset classes. Um, Alex, could you could you lead us off on this one uh, in terms of, should we start with winners, potential winners? Yes, of course. Um, obviously, um, the, uh, the COVID uh, um, episode um, um, has, uh, uh, has amplified, so to speak, uh, uh, previously existing trends. Um, the, uh, the the rise of logistics uh, and light industrial, uh, for instance, uh, is a trend that was uh, that was pre-existing and, and is uh, and is obviously continuing um, probably at a at an even faster pace. Um, um, but uh, but um, also the uh, the so-called or formerly called alternative assets uh, being very fashionable. Uh, they, they are even more uh, so today. So student housing, um, 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 data centers, um, and uh, and also um, anything that will be uh, managed. So managed real estate, uh, managed residential, and uh, and the senior housing are, are part of the winners. Um, one should also um, um, mention the uh, uh, the online retail and and distribution centers. Um, uh, as a kind of, uh, of uh, um, city city center logistics, um, uh, these are the, the the assets that are very very hot at, at the moment, and it's it's fair to say that uh, um, the, the market isn't very structured for these assets uh, like it is in other asset classes. So so we see some activity um, 
on, on, on smaller deals actually getting gathered together in larger portfolios and, and these large portfolios are, are, are starting to get on the market. Um, I'd also like to mention um, a trend uh, that at least on the continent is, is picking up, which is the built to rent. Um, uh, um, the built-to-rent uh, trend, and especially uh, uh, on uh, the residential uh, uh, sector. Um, and these, these, uh, these deals are, are all viewed as resilient and preparing the future uh, uh, of, uh, of, um, um, uh, of real estate um, in, in France, but also in, in Southern Europe. Um, and, uh, and, and these, uh, these asset classes have been uh, keeping most of us uh, quite busy. Uh, over the past few months, um, but of course uh, there are losers um, in, 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 that, uh, in that game. Um, and again, some trends which were pre-existing are actually amplified. Uh, and, and obviously, I'm thinking um, uh, retail, uh, shopping malls, uh, uh, and, and some uh, and some city center uh, retail. Uh, is going through very, very difficult times, uh, very few transactions, uh, sometimes at, uh, at very high yields, uh, which, uh, which reflect very, very slow, um, a very, I'm sorry, very low demand. Um, um, but also, obviously, hospitality and leisure in general, um, in, in most uh, jurisdictions, uh, hotels and restaurants have been closed for quite some time. Um, we see uh, uh, we see uh, the beginning of a wave of restructuring in the hotel uh, sector, um, um, and then uh, probably more of a question mark, uh, but flexible office. Um, 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 it's it's difficult to say whether uh, the misfortune of of WeWork, for instance, uh, was pre-existing COVID because it was. And, and, you know, uh, it's difficult to say what COVID has had as an impact, but it, it's probably fair to say that it hasn't had a positive impact on WeWork or, or any of, of, uh, of their competitors. And I think, uh, just to add to that, I think on the service office sector, there is a question mark whether the model needs looking at, and it's something that actually those in that sector were talking about pre-COVID, um, a move away from a, um, a property model to more a sort of operator model where they're not taking leases of premises which they're then leasing to uh, on these very short-term arrangements to, to their occupiers, but rather management agreements uh, with landlords where they run these operating businesses. So that's, I think that's come, COVID is perhaps somewhat of a, um, a catalyst on that. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think serviced offices uh, or indeed offices are, are dead or looking at their demise by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. And serviced offices, for example, could, could provide a very important role in the sort of new spoke, um, uh, spoken wheel uh, model that uh, is being discussed at the moment. Great. Okay. Thanks, Alice. And, and can we move to talk on about uh, you know, any evolution in respect of the, uh, the, the, the full sort of repair and insuring lease, so the FRI lease, where, where the tenant has the obligation for, uh, for repair and, and insurance? What, what, what's the evolution of that at the moment? So, yes, another really good example, I think, of a trend which is probably being turbocharged by 
by COVID, um, we, we all know that one of the attractive aspects of the um, UK real estate market was the FRI lease, which traditionally was quite a passive investment. You just um, uh, you got a good tenant on a lease for 15 years and really sat back and collected your, your net rents and asset management was very, very light. And what we've seen, actually it was spurred on originally by the financial crisis, what we've seen is an erosion of, of that over time. Leases are getting shorter. Um, uh, they are, um, there's more flexibility required under those leases. Even tenants who are taking whole buildings are expecting to take those buildings on a lease, a floor by floor basis so that they have maximum flexibility. Developers are now having, putting aside floors so that they can have their own service office model to, 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 um, uh, provide that service to their, to their longer term, um, tenants so that they can um, scale up and down and and actually the move by investors to these more operator operator type models which which alex referred to has accentuated this so your student accommodation your prs your serviced office they're all underpinned by very very short-term arrangements uh which um which need to be renewed all the time and um of course covid has just brought that into sharp focus and you've got institutional landlords like Hammerson and uh, LNG coming out to the market and offering their tenants turnover rent leases, leases which um, are more of a partnership and are more invested uh, in their tenants' businesses. So great. I think we're going to see more of the same. Okay, great. Th th thanks, uh, Alice. Um, now, can we, can we turn to uh, potential opportunities that, that the crisis is creating in, in respect of real estate um, debt? Um, Emma, did, did you have some comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in, in addition to being outlined, in the sort of stronger segments of the market, we're also seeing sponsors um, reach out directly to capital markets. So we've seen a number of agency agented CMBS transactions over the summer, which enables um, sponsors to bypass the, the lender market if it is a bit thinner than usual and access capital markets investment. So again, it's tended to be in some of the asset classes which we've touched upon, such as logistics and most recently today, um, social housing in the UK. Um, but that's another avenue which I think is, is open. Uh, I guess there were some question marks about whether the, the capital markets would be open um, to new deals, but that's proved to be the case. So that kind of provides another avenue um, for, for borrowers. Okay. All right. So, so let's move on now to talk uh, uh, about uh, non-performing non assets um, uh, while we have you, Emma. So, so first of all, can you give us a, a, an overview? How has the market performed, um, you know, sort of during lockdown? Sure. Um, so, I mean, as was the case across many markets, um, at the start of the pandemic, um, amid sort of widespread European lockdowns, we did see a number of sale processes stall. Um, so either come to a complete halt um, and being withdrawn or go on hold. Although saying that there were a number of deals which did complete um, during that initial period. So, for example, we were involved in some transactions where financing was obtained and put in place for portfolio acquisitions, which closed in spring um, when the relevant jurisdictions were completely closed. So, so lenders did honour those transactions and, and buyers did complete. 
However, um, we did see, um, conversely, uh, a number of bidders who either were not able to honour bids that had been made or we saw an element of retrading on price or conditionality, which in some cases allowed um, lower bidders to come back into the process and, and, and win certain processes if they were slightly uh, more confident um, and they held their nerve or that the sellers ultimately decided to take the portfolio off the market and postpone the process. So, so that was sort of the picture in spring, early summer. I think where we are now, um, where we stand today, it, you know, this crisis is clearly not a banking crisis. So banks are not, um, you know, under significant pressure and they're generally much better capitalised and able to withstand um, the current crisis than, than at the time of the global financial crisis. But saying that, we know that there are, you know, and a lot of European banks which still have portfolios to manage and, and balance sheets to manage. So a number of the processes that have been put on hold have restarted. Um, and we now see, you know, sellers preparing transactions and bringing them to market. So a number of those processes have kicked off uh, late summer um, and during the autumn. And within the commercial real estate market, we do expect to see a new generation of NPLs due to the current um, pandemic. So as we've touched upon, in those areas where we see most um, instability in terms of price, so maybe retail is a good example, um, it, we do expect that balance sheet lenders who are holding those types of exposures may look to pass those on to, to funds and other investors who are have a more appetite for, for NPLs. So it, it is likely to be the case that a sort of new generation of NPL portfolios will um, be identified and can come to market in the next, you know, 12, 18 months and, and, and onwards. So that's a trend that we expect to pick up. And do we think that the availability of financing has been, has been affected by the pandemic? Um, I think that's it's trickier to say. Um, as I said, some lenders, you know, continue to lend throughout this period. Um, I, I suspect that, you know, as with as with bidders, some of the lenders pulled back a bit. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see how that um, continues. You know, we have had conversations with certain sellers around vendor finance, but I think at the moment it's anticipated that both. Um, the, the the sort of bank that was often made available for MPL portfolios and potentially the capital markets route uh, will be available. We certainly see an expectation of um, securitization funding being available for performing loan portfolio acquisitions and sales, um, and that's certainly been the case throughout the pandemic. Actually, that that market has held up very well. Um, I guess the question mark will be around some of these asset classes where we see some um, unwillingness of lenders to lend directly. The question is wh whether they will feel confident to sponsor, uh, so, sorry, to, to lend to a sponsor with a business plan to turn around the MPLs. And I, I suspect that depends, you know, to a significant degree on sort of pricing and, and, and levels of leverage. Great. Um, and are there any other sort of pandemic-related developments that, that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to mention? Um, 
No, I think I think those are the key ones. I mean, I think that, as I say, people are expecting kind of a pickup and that the loan portfolio market gets going again, and, and not just within the commercial real estate context, but across um, a number of asset classes. You know, we see anything from aircraft loans to, you know, consumer debt. So I think um, the market is open and and we expect there to be more processes so there may be even a, a bit of a surge given that people had to kind of halt their plans earlier in the year great thanks uh, thanks very much emma um so i think that's all of the topics that we intended to cover on this uh, podcast um so it's it's clear um that this is a dynamic market there's a lot of change there are winners and losers. There are clearly developments in respect of, uh, of terms, availability of financing. Um, so a lot um, to, to keep an eye on. Uh, I'd like to thank all the speakers, to Alice, to Emma, to Alex, to Barry. Thank you very much um, for your contributions today. Um, thank you also to uh, the listeners for listening in. A recording of this podcast and others in the CC on Credit uh, series can be found on the Clifford Chance website. Uh, my name is Simon Crown. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you very much.